Good morning. Good morning and welcome. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us on this beautiful Palm Sunday as we sing our praises to God together.
Sunday reading, which will be seen on the screens. And please note that there will be parts for for leader, for all, and also for women and for men. For one day, Lord, for just one day, everything seemed to go well. They would have preferred to have you ride into the city on a white stallion. But they We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your humility. For preferring the simple life to the trappings of the world. Once, during a long, hot trip to Galilee, you stopped for a drink of water at a well in Samaria. gentle humility, you revealed yourself to her as the living water. A perpetual spring that could quench the thirst forever and eternal life. Overjoyed, the woman told her neighbors that she had met the Messiah. final trip to Jerusalem. The people hailed you, Lord, on that one day when everything seemed to be going so well. They covered your path with long branches. They shouted happy Hosannas to welcome you. Yes, Lord, for just that one day, everything seemed so perfect. But you were not deceived. Your eyes remained clear. 
you knew how quickly the shouts of Hosanna would turn into cries of let him be crucified. You knew what awaited you on the hill just outside Jerusalem. We glorify you, Jesus, for steadfastly setting your face toward a city where you knew you would suffer pain, betrayal, and death. And that out of your courage and sacrifice would come forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption. I see the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over. for all that you've done for us in Christ. And we pray that as we worship today on this Palm Sunday, that we will uh, we'll sense ourselves in the crowd of people crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And may our hearts be awakened to uh, the coming of Christ into Jerusalem and all that this week means. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Try to step around these branches here, which is great. Isn't that fun to watch the kids uh, bring those in, and they have a great time. Uh, the few things that are in your bulletin I want to uh, make sure you're aware of. Um, a couple of people to help with children's church teaching next week. Every, the lessons are ready. Uh, it's just a matter of stepping in and ministering to our children during the service next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Uh, if you can help out, you can contact uh, Emily uh, Hoffman, and her information is in the bulletin. Also, we're in the process of uh, signing up for a new church directory that uh, pictures will be taken 24th, 25th, and 26th of this month. So if you haven't yet signed up, I encourage you to do so either online through the church office or you can sign up in the uh, community room foyer this morning as well. There, uh, also, this is the, uh, the last day to sign up to be a part of helping uh, nursery schedule May to September. There are some sheets on the back table. If you haven't yet signed up and you'd like to, uh, today is the last day to do that. So please take note of that. Uh, also, there's an insert in your bulletin, a couple of inserts uh, about this coming week. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a special week in the life of the church. And so we have some special activities going on this week. Uh, Thursday night, we have a Monday Thursday service, which is a gathering to, to uh, think about the, the last night of Jesus before his death as he meets with his disciples in the upper room. This is a service has a lot of symbolism, a lot of, a lot of uh, things happening, in the interactive things happening uh, in the worship. And so if you, we encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, Friday is Good Friday. And we will be having an event here in this sanctuary, a, a Journey to the Cross event. It will be a little bit different than past few years when we've done this. But this, this year we're not only contemplating the actual events of Good Friday, that first Friday, but also the implications of that. And just a chance to meditate, to think about those implications for our lives and for our world as we ponder uh, what it means for Jesus to go to the cross. And uh, it's a come-and-go event beginning at 10 o'clock, ends at 6 uh, come stay as little or as long as you want, and you can walk through the various things that we have uh, we'll have prepared here uh, on Friday from 10 to 6. And then next Sunday is Easter Sunday, uh, the highest, holiest day of the year in the church. And uh, we have a, a, a different schedule next Sunday. The first service will be at 745, so a little bit earlier than this one. And that will be centered around baptism. We have sick people being baptized next Sunday morning. Uh, we hope that you'll be a part of that. It's also a time when we restore the church after stripping the church on Thursday night. And uh, this great celebration, there'll be a breakfast then uh, at 8.30 in the community room. It's a free will offering breakfast. As you see on the insert, if there's ways that you can help to donate food and things, it's a fundraiser for our youth group as they go on a, we're going to be going on a mission trip later this year. And uh, you can be a part of that. And then our worship service at 10 o'clock. And the early service and the 10 o'clock service are completely different. So we encourage you to be a part of the whole day. Um, in fact, be a part of the whole week. Uh, I have found in my own life that the more I participate in the events of this week, the more Easter Sunday comes alive for me. And I, have, I know I've heard that from other people as well. So let me encourage you to take advantage of these gatherings this week. And as we immerse ourselves in the passion, the death, and uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the ushers to come now as uh, we uh, gather our tithes and offerings.
the life you gave. Your body was broken, your love poured out. You bled and you died for me there on the cross. You breathed your last as you were crucified. You gave it all to me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, King forever. We thank you for the gather for uh, some time to pray together. If you'd like to come use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that it means for us, for your people, for this world, and for all time. We gather today, Father, to give honor and praise to you, to thank you for who you are and what you've done, and to pour out our hearts to you in prayer. You call us, you invite us, you welcome our prayers, and so today we offer them to you. We pray today for all who are grieving. We think of uh, Bruce, Denise Campbell, their family, the death of Bruce's father, 
and ask for your grace and healing, comforting presence upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with uh, health concerns. We pray for Storer Emmett, Ben King, Dorsa Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buecher. For Bill Getty and Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others. May your grace of healing be upon each of them. Father, we thank you for the ministries of our church, and we thank you for the ways in which we nurture each other's faith, and we teach each other and encourage each other and love each other, and we are so grateful for this church. We thank you for churches around us as well, and for the ministry they have in their places to their people. And today we pray for Our Lady of Angels, Roman Catholic Church, in Cuba, and ask for your grace upon them. And Father Dennis, may your mercy and and power be at work as they worship and as they serve one another in their community and beyond. Pour out your grace upon them. Father, we continue to pray for our nation and our world, going through so much difficulty. We're thinking now of Syria and the, uh, the violence and the attacks and so many innocent people caught in the crossfire. We ask, Father, that that you will bring peace, that you will protect people, that you will lead the government to make decisions that help their people instead of harm them. And Lord, we pray that you will help our nation and other nations of the world to know the right way to help the people of Syria. We pray that you will bring an end to this war and violence and conflict there and in other places. And Father, we also pray for... Uh, the refugees in this world who struggle so much with just finding a place to live and a safe place. And we pray that you will intervene for them. Lord, we think about your church around the world. We pray, Father, for the Trudels as they continue to work with SIL in Africa. Continue to bless them as they, as they expand their ministry, as they help the African people to uh, to know how to take on roles and responsibilities and continue to help them as they equip others, encourage them, help them with health issues and, and just all of the things that come to them in the daily routines of life. May they know your grace. And Father, we think about our brothers and sisters who face great opposition and persecution in the world. And just this morning, hearing of, of, of explosion and attack in Cairo, on the church there as they celebrated what we are celebrating today, Palm Sunday. And we ask, Father, that, that you will protect them, that you will help them. Lord, give them the ability to respond in a way that honors you and that even speaks to, their cat, to their, those who oppose them in ways of love and compassion and grace. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, especially this week, as celebrating this most holy time, the attacks may well intensify and the threats may well intensify. We pray for protection and we pray for your grace and power to be seen in your people as we gather to worship you around the world. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray that you will help us this week to see you in new ways, to know you, to experience you, and to to know your grace at work in us. And we ask all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
After the reading of the scripture, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Could we all please rise for the reading of the gospel? Luke 19, 28 to 46. After Jesus had said this, he went ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said unto them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Rides on a milky white horse, no man works like him. The river of Jordan he did cross, no man works like him. He is king of kings, he is lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, the first and last, no man works like him. And he comes for me, no man works like him. He comes to set his people free, no man works like him. He is King of kings, he is Lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, the first and last, no man works like him. Hit 
Thank you, Seth. That was by, actually by my invitation and request and begging, because uh, as soon as I learned that I was going to preach today on Palm Sunday, I, I immediately thought of that song, Right on King Jesus, one of my favorites, one of my favorite spirituals. So Jesus on a white horse is the picture of King Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. I saw heaven's I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His name is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh has the name been written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Earlier in the book of Revelation, John recorded, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And you can just hear the hallelujah chorus going on there from Handel's Messiah. But this is a far cry from the Jesus we see riding towards Jerusalem in peace in our scripture passage today from Luke and also in all four Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, John chapter 12. Is this the same king? What kind of king is this Jesus on Palm Sunday? And what does this intriguing drama have to do with us in our world today? I know this is an awfully familiar story. We see our palm branches every year, and we love the kids, and we we, we know the story. So I probably have to beg you to kind of tune in a little sharper today because it is so familiar. I want us to focus on Jesus and renew our devotion and faith and our love for him today. Jesus, the humble, life-giving king, enters Jerusalem on God's mission at the start of Passover week. And he deserves our total allegiance, our worship, and our service. I want to set the stage just with a couple of points before we go right to the scriptures. With God as the writer and the originator, and Jesus as the director-actor, Palm Sunday is more than just an entertaining parade just stuck in before the big events of uh, Gethsemane and Good Friday and Easter. We will see that the Old Testament prophets foretold and Jesus choreographed this day with intense precision. Secondly, the four Gospels report that for months... Jesus has been aiming towards this day and this week and towards the city of Jerusalem, which is now filling with people. Some people say, some commentators, six, seven times the normal population of the city, kind of like the reverse of Houghton this weekend, uh, when everybody's leaving for a vacation, except you. Thank you for not being part of the rapture. Um, So Jesus has been aiming towards Jerusalem. He had warned warned his baffled disciples that his own death awaited him at the hands of the leaders who were already plotting his death. Also, strangely, even during this last year of public ministry, Jesus had deliberately been squelching any news that he was the Messiah. He kept it a secret. He warned others to do so until today, Palm Sunday. He talked plenty about the kingdom of God, but who was the king? The city itself was abuzz with the question, will Jesus come today or this week to the Passover? And finally, without going into all the other kinds of historical details that we might dig up for this day, one contrast deserves attention. Several sources claim that the Romans in Palestine, fearful of Jewish uprisings, put on an annual display of imperial force prior to the Passover, parading into Jerusalem with horses and armies from a a military fort 75 miles to the west towards the coast, Caesarea Maritima. And uh, sometimes at the head of this group was the, the local leader, some say Herod Antipas or even Pontius Pilate. We can just kind of tuck that into the back of our minds as we look at our story from the Gospels. 
So let's go to it. And I've decided to kind of pick four scenes, since it's a bit of a drama, recorded both in Luke and Matthew in the case of today's message. So first, a donkey, a password, and a prophecy. Jesus has walked miles from Galilee. He had done it often, and he'd been to Jerusalem before, and probably today there are only three miles left of his journey. But this time he texted ahead for a rental donkey to transport him on the road from Bethany. Bethany, of course, was likely where he had the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, or his bed and breakfast, it seems in the text, that he goes back there in the evenings because Jerusalem was so full. And then he has this password. The Lord needs the donkey. The Lord has need of it, or the master needs it. So you have this preparation going on. Why the surprising donkey? Matthew account gives little more clarity than our scripture today from, from, uh, from Luke. So read, here's what Matthew says. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The full text of this prophecy is in Zechariah chapter 9. It's on the screen. I know it's small. I'll read it for you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. What a prophecy. Now, this little four-legged taxi ride was not a last-minute whim. Something very important and long-planned was happening, wasn't it? Kings do ride on horses when at war, but in peace, even in the Old Testament, we see that the chosen animal is the donkey. Uh, I want to take a little liberty. I know Pastor West sometimes sings for you when he preaches, and we all get excited about that. I've, I've got a little poem, and I hope you get just as excited. It's a little bit thick here. It's by G.K. Chesterton. I'm celebrating the donkey here. Got the picture of the donkey? There it is. This is the donkey speaking about his place in life, kind of a lowly animal. Uh, people don't respect it very much. So he's talking about his birth and their attitudes. This donkey. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. When monst with monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all, uh, of all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will. Go ahead, starve, scourge, deride me. I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools. For I also had my hour. One far, feast, far fierce hour and sweet there was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. The old donkey, he had his place in history, didn't he? A couple times in the Bible. So the plot is clear here already in this first scene of choosing a donkey. Jesus deliberately announced his coming role as Israel's long-anticipated Messiah. King David's successor, the Prince of Peace. Peace for Israel, yes. But also his mission this week was to give his life a ransom for many, for the nations, to find peace with God. So that's our first scene. Let's go to another scene in the text in Luke. The crowd, the shouts, and the praise of stones? His followers did not miss the point of his coming and led him along with the carpet of clothes, waving palm boughs, and a chorus of messianic praises from the Psalms. You can find one of them in Psalm 118. 
It was a triumphal procession. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Who were these people around Jesus? Sometimes on Palm Sunday we have the sermon, well, one day they praised him and the next day they said crucify him. I think they're different people in those two crowds. This crowd is a crowd of followers from Galilee who probably came down as pilgrims to Jerusalem uh, with Jesus and with all the hordes that were coming down. Probably a good number of them were from Bethany itself and had witnessed Jesus' miracles and had witnessed even the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. So they knew who Jesus was. Jesus accepts their praise. Until the infiltrating Pharisees told Jesus, silence the crowd. They were likely worried that this commotion would draw the attention of the Roman garrison, which was actually packed around the temple as they were approaching it. And uh, so they were uh, really worried about what might happen. And Jesus says this strange thing. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Wait a minute, that's a little overstatement. Jesus uses hyperbole, doesn't he? Why was he so sure? Isn't this over the top? Well, another Bible passage from the book of Daniel kind of, I think, gives us a pretty strong hint of why the stones would have cried out. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25 of all places. Around 539 B.C., Daniel in Babylon pled with God for the restoration and, and hope for his beloved Jerusalem. And you know the story. The angel Gabriel came, and there was lots of interesting facts around his coming. And Gabriel responded with these words, and I don't want you to sink into a a daze right now, but just listen to it. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put to an end sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And then the next verse, 25. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. I know you're all beginning to say, "Oh, oh, Shay's gone off the deep end. He's going to pull out a chart and get into the weeks and uh, walk around with a stick and point at things. Well, I didn't have a clue about this passage till I went to seminary, and uh, I learned that without rehashing all the possibilities and interpretations, many esteemed scholars, including Dr. Alva McLean, founder and president of Grace Theological Seminary, there are connections to grace here at our church, and Dr. Bruce Waltke, one of Houghton's most famous alums and a renowned biblical, Old Testament biblical scholar, they actually float the possibility that Gabriel is referring to a well-established point in history. Actually, you can date the day on the calendar. When Artaxerxes decreed that they rebuild the city. You can find it in Nehemiah chapter 2. Another story in the Old Testament that we're familiar with. To rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That was in the year 445 B.C. Keeping it very simple... They understand that the weeks or the sevens in this uh, scripture refer to seven years, groups of seven years. And so taking the total 69 years times seven is 483 years. There's much more to the explanation about leap years and all the other kind of things you could add into it. But they reasonably calculate that the exact day of Palm Sunday, A.D. 32, is the exact fulfillment of this prophecy in Daniel. Now, again, like I say, you don't have to agree with it, and you may say we've gone off the deep end. But I just wonder if the people wouldn't praise God on the arrival of the Anointed One, announcing his candidacy or his appointment as the Messiah for the nation and for the world, if maybe the stones wouldn't have cried out. Just maybe that's why nature itself 
would have cried out in response to God's sovereign timing and script announcing the arrival of his Messiah Prince, the Prince of Peace, to Jerusalem. God had a mission. And if God has a mission, he fulfills his mission. That you can bank on whether you want 483 years or not. Nothing could stop. This is a big day on God's calendar and in God's mission because the redemption of his people and the hope of this city had come. Do you ever feel like a day even like today when they announce a bombing of another church in Cairo um, and wars and, and the suffering of our world that God has lost touch and he's just forgotten our world and the Prince of Peace is just missing? A plan for Jerusalem and Israel, yes, but we know God has even larger kingdom plans till the end of the age. He commissions us to partner in that mission, telling the good news of Christ. We can trust God to be faithful in his part, and he wants us to partner with him in his mission. Well, let's go to the third little scene here. There's a look, and there's a pause, and there are tears. Luke offers us now an exclusive scoop on the events of the day. It's not in the other Gospels. Jesus takes a bend in the road, and some people know that place on the Mount of Olives, and suddenly there's Jerusalem. With joy and celebration all around him, Jesus can't hold back tears as he catches that glimpse of the city. And we listen in. If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And he goes on with that graphic description of the destruction of Jerusalem some 70 years later. Or so many years later. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You can see why this day really is pretty important in Jesus' eyes. Jesus reinforces their refusal of his offer with the parable of the tenants in the next chapter of Luke. As this week of Holy Week, he does some pretty serious teaching throughout the three or four days before things get rather quiet, before the crucifixion. I'm also reminded of the poignant words of John in the first chapter of the Gospel. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of one, the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I, I get especially moved and close to Jesus on this Palm Sunday. I see him coming to offer himself, and yet they refuse his invitation. Jesus looks out on the world today just as he did in the Gospel of Matthew. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the wars, the thousands fleeing for their lives, the suffering millions, the lonely, the hopeless, and he sees ahead to the long-term prospects without him. Now the message of this day, Palm Sunday, is even clearer. Jesus comes. Jesus came. He cares. He loves. He weeps. He invites and warns. The good news is still just that for our world today, too. Do we have this same longing as we watch CNN or the news are we looking for kingdom breakthroughs with refugees in the inner city, up and down the roads and streets of Allegheny County? Are we desperate for the next generation of children, young adults at Houghton College, youth, to meet the Prince of Peace and to receive life abundant that he's offering our world? Do we weep? Do we pray? Do we work to make it happen? I think that's the challenge of Jesus as we come alongside him on these few moments in the road above Jerusalem. 
And then finally, we include one last act. I know it seems a little strange because it's on Monday. It's the calculated entry and clearing of the temple. It's included in the Luke gospel as if it's kind of the same day. The other gospels relate that it's the next morning. On Sunday, he travels into Jerusalem, yes, to the temple area, yes. And according to Matthew, children continue to praise him. Hosanna to the son of David, they say. And the people there say, quiet the children. And he says, out of the mouths of babes will come. And he healed sick right there in the temple that day. And he looked over the scene of the temple. I think he was kind of calculating, watching and seeing what was going on in the temple area. And then he goes home to to Bethany that evening to sleep, if he slept. And I think he actually has a calculated move on Monday, not a, a spontaneous anger. But again, remember the Old Testament and remember that he will come to his temple And he's the Messiah announcing his coming. And so, it's clear on the next day, he didn't just spontaneously burst into anger, but had calculated. He entered the temple courts of the Gentiles that was full of chaos. And what did it drown out where they were meeting? It was in the court of Gentiles. It was the place where the whole nation, all the nations were to come and worship the one true God. And he cleared out the market and the money changers. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 56. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, the sovereign Lord declares. He who gathers the exiles of Israel. I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So Jesus completes this introductory phase to this holy week. Pastor talked about how important this week is. Spend time with Jesus this week. He begins it with a bold demonstration that the anointed one had come to his city and to his temple to declare salvation to the nation, to the people of God, and to all the world. So make room, make way for Jesus. What kind of king is this? He's the Messiah. He's the hope of Israel. He's the king of peace for the whole world. Once again, what does it have to do with us today in our world? Let's face it. This was Jesus' day and Jesus' week. Triumphant, tragic, but ultimately victorious. It's about him but it is our response to it's about our response to him as well just as is it about the, it was about the reception of the nation and the people in Jerusalem jesus came anticipating a throne but maybe not the throne they were anticipating the throne of the hearts of people jesus was making a final appeal maybe like this will you not even now even yet accept me as your lord and king and enthrone me in your hearts Here was extreme courage because he walked right into the face of death. You think of first responders. You think of soldiers. It takes a special kind of courage. Here was Jesus knowing what was ahead of him and publicly announcing and walking in to Jerusalem. Here was extreme love and submission to God's will in order to buy redemption for him. God's people. So we, you, I, shouldn't miss the invitation. We must enthrone him in our hearts and lift him up for others to see. We must join the chorus of the faithful, boldly declaring him as our Savior. Our hope is not in temporary political saviors, but in the coming king of the universe. God's kingdom, God's mission is still our mission today, and he will see it through. So our prayer must be, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ride on, King Jesus. We're with you. Amen. Amen. I'll pray, and then the music will come. Lord, thank you for your clear, clear, clear invitation and demonstration 
of who you are. And renew our hearts with joy and hope and devotion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
Receive the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with the power and hope of the Holy Spirit. Peace to all of you who are in Christ the Messiah. Amen.